Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Good morning and welcome to the Q4 and Fiscal 2020 Financial Results Conference Call for HLS Therapeutics. On this morning, we have Gilbert Gaudin, the Chief Executive Officer, and Tim Hendrickson, Chief Financial Officer. At this time, all lines are in listen-only mode. The following management's presentation will conduct a question-and-answer session during which analysts are invited to ask questions. To ask a question, uh, please press star followed by one on your touch-tone phone to register. Should you require any assistance during this call, please press star followed by zero. Earlier this morning, HLS issued a news release announcing its financial results for the three and 12-month periods ended December 31st, 2020. This news release, along with the company's MD&A and financial statements, will be available on HLS's website and on CDAR. Uh, please note that slides accompanying today's call can be viewed via the webcast, a link of which is available in the company's Q4 and fiscal 2020 results uh, press release and at its website on the events page. Uh, certain matters discussed in today's conference call or answers that may be given to questions could constitute forward-looking statements. Actual results could differ materially from those anticipated. Risk factors could affect results and are detailed in the company's annual information form, which has been filed on CDAR at www.cdar.com. During this conference call, HLS will refer to adjusted EBITDA. Adjusted EBITDA does not have any standardized meaning prescribed by IFRS. Adjusted EBITDA is defined in the company's press release and annual filings that are available on CDAR and on the company's website. Please note that all financial information provided is in U.S. dollars unless otherwise specified. I would now like to turn the conference over to Mr. Godin. Please go ahead, sir. Thank you, operator. Good morning, everyone, and uh, thank you for joining us. On our call today, I will start off with a review of key uh, Q4 and 2020 operational highlights. Tim will follow with a more detailed look at our financial results, and then we'll hold a Q&A session. Q4 was a strong finish to a year in which we made progress on launching significant organic growth drivers for the business, despite the challenges posed by the COVID-19 pandemic. Our financial results reflect the resilience and the strength of Clausrill, as well as the Q4 revenue contribution for, from our new royalty portfolio. Together, these serve as our foundational products. The reliable cash flow received from these products enables us to invest in the expansion of our product portfolio and in the significant organic growth potential of transformational products such as the SIPA. With a quick look at the headline numbers, Q4 revenue was $16.5 million, 
Adjusted EBITDA was $8.7 million, and cash from operations was $5.8 million. Tim will look at quarterly and annual results in more detail, but we are very pleased with these results, especially in light of the impact from the pandemic. The investment we are making in the Vesipa launch and the commercialization of other products in our portfolio. Throughout 2020, we made great and constant progress on the launch of Vesipa. Over the past several years, we have laid out the key steps required to advance Vesipa towards broad adoption and its peak year potential. In 2020, we achieved a number of these key milestones, and with each step, our confidence in achieving that peak year sales level has been growing. Among those milestones, Vesipa was granted data protection for eight years. Cadiz recommended that it be reimbursed for patients with established cardiovascular disease, and the PMPRB provided its notification that Vesipa's introductory price submission is compliant. Finally, as of today, we have reached agreements for the reimbursement of Vesipa for more than 90% of the lives covered under private payer health plans in Canada, as approved for all patients studied in the reduced trial. These are all significant achievements in the path towards our peak year sales estimates for the product and have occurred along timelines consistent with those we have outlined in the past. Quarter to quarter, the number of patients being prescribed Vesipa increased by more than 70% in Q4 to more than 2,000, and the number of prescribing physicians increased 55% to over 550. These growth numbers are also showing that we are gaining depth with prescribers as the average number of patients per practitioner is increasing. We're pleased to see this type of growth over the Q3 period as Q4 had this rising second wave of COVID, which led to strict lockdown in Canada's two largest provinces, among others. While COVID-19 has continued to present challenges in reaching physicians and physicians reaching patients, we are finding ways to make meaningful contact and are succeeding in raising awareness for the product with key opinion leaders and other prescribers. All things considered, we are very encouraged from what we see both in terms of the engagement and response from practitioners and in terms of the trends for prescribers and patient uptake. The important thing to remember is that as our cumulative efforts to reach prescribers add up to a smaller than expected but sufficient level, we have growing evidence that the communication is productive and Vesipa's benefit results in usage that is consistent with a life-saving cardiovascular breakthrough product. Cardiovascular disease remains the number one killer worldwide. Statins alone are not enough. Vesipa is the first and the only Health Canada-approved drug that has been proven to significantly reduce the risk of death or major cardiac event in its indication. And as the only drug in its class, it has the potential to improve the lives of hundreds of thousands of Canadians. 
At this point, I would like to turn your attention to the slides that are viewable on the webcast. If you miss the opening preamble, the webcast link can be found in our press release issued this morning and on our website in the event section. The first slide shows weekly script data through February 2021 since the launch of Visipa in February 2020. So actually a full year of weekly data. The big takeaway here is twofold. First of all, the steady growth and momentum in the number of scripts written since our launch, mostly through hardship. It reflects the creative and determined effort of our team to reach physicians and raise awareness of the product during a period when in-person visits with practitioners have often been forbidden and when patients' visit to the doctor have been significantly lower than in previous years. Secondly, while we shouldn't overread the data, the general trend of the data is now curving up, which could be a precursor of the inflection we should be seeing in 2021 as the market continues to open and the possibility of seeing Visipa occupying its right place in prescribing guidelines. The next slide is an update to the one we shared on our third quarter call, comparing the uptake of Visipa to the post-launch script performance of two other cardiovascular drugs, Eliquis and Pradexa. As a reminder, all analogs are imperfect, but they are useful in helping create a sense of perspective. These two drugs are oral anticoagulants, and the oral anticoagulant market is a relevant analog for Visipa. While they have a similar aim in terms of cardiovascular risk focus, a similar size potential, and an overlap in, uh, of healthcare practitioner, we include their historical experience here for illustrative purposes only. A quick recap of what that slide shows. Well, first of all, as we look at the first four quarters, it illustrates that product uptake is typically slow in the initial periods post-launch, as companies engage with the few, but the very influential specialists and key opinion leaders. Subsequently, typically during the second year, the uptake curve displays the inflection point that I alluded to earlier, and an acceleration of the rate of prescription that is corresponding with the opening of market access on the public front in particular. Secondly, on the far right side of the slide, we've posted where those two analogs ended at maturity in terms of patient counts. And we've done so to put those numbers into perspective with our anticipated peak year potential of 130 to 150,000 patients, which is a base for our 275 to 325 peak year sales target. So what are the takeaways uh, from this slide? First, it suggests that in spite of everything in the environment, the very good start of the SIPA continues. It also suggests that an apparently slow start can still result in a very robust, uh, robust patient penetration number at peak year. You will note that the number of scripts for Visipa in the fourth quarter 
was about 4,050, which is at the lower end of the range we anticipated for the period. With the second wave of the pandemic and the strict lockdowns in Ontario and Quebec occurring in that period, we're actually quite pleased to have made the range despite that big headwind. For the same reasons, we have modestly adjusted the low end of our range for the next two quarters, uh, the next two quarterly periods, given the severity of the related lockdowns, but that may change as vaccination progress and, uh, or, you know, on the other side, if a third surge was to occur. The course that COVID-19 takes in the coming months and quarters is unknown. But as we have done until now, we will work as best we can to mitigate or neutralize those external factors. In this year of turmoil, we try to stay focused on the big picture. And that is that while the effect of COVID-19 is significant, it is transient. And it doesn't change the fact that the need for VSIPA is immense. The VSIPA solution is unique, and therefore the VSIPA potential remains unchanged. As stated earlier, with the milestones we have achieved with the product during 2020, and we had the, with the adoption rates we are seeing reflected in this chart, we remain confident in our ability to achieve our 275 the $325 million peak year sales target at this stage of our launch. With more than 90% of private payer covered lives now eligible for reimbursement, the market is progressively opening up as we predicted, and we now have approximately half of the eligible patient population with access to reimbursement for the product. On the public payer side, which is the remaining 50% of population, our negotiations with the PCPA have begun, and we're hopeful they could be completed during the third quarter of this year. In addition, with the prospect of updated cardiovascular guidelines in the near future, we're hopeful that VSIPA will gain the same degree of medical and scientific recognition in Canada that has been granted by leading medical societies in the United States, Europe, and Asia. Looking now at Clausural, Q4 and fiscal 2020 results reflect the strength and the stability of our foundational product, which continues to perform well in spite of a very fluid environment. Clausural's patient count and sales in Canada are up about 2% in 2020, reflecting the essential nature of this medication and the significant difference it can make in the lives of those suffering from treatment-resistant schizophrenia, or TRS, a chronic and serious condition. New treatment initiation has been dramatically reduced during the last year, so the fact that we continue to grow patient numbers speaks volume about the product and the service organization we have in place supporting it. As we emerge from strict lockdowns, we do expect new patient access to the product will trend upwards at a stronger clip. We still remain at the early rollout stage for CSAN Pronto, our point of care safety blood monitoring device, but the response from practitioners is enthusiastic and we continue to expand the number of sites where the product is deployed. CSAN Pronto is now at 23 sites, which is up from 12 at the end of Q3. We have broadened our approach 
which initially focused on the largest centers, to now include smaller but nimble treatment centers that have shown a need and an ability to adopt and implement the technology. CSAN Pronto addresses the number one barrier to clozapine treatment, and that is the demanding safety blood testing regimen. And we remain very optimistic with the potential of this product to bring an essential treatment option to a broader patient population. In the third quarter, we added to our foundational base of product with the acquisition of a long-duration royalty portfolio consisting of four diverse products that are or will be marketed globally by healthcare leaders, Takeda, Boston Scientific, Pfizer, and once launched, Sanofi Genzyme. Tim will provide some details on progress to date in his section, but so far, we're quite pleased with the financial contribution from the portfolio. Q4 saw activity with a number of other products in our pipeline. With respect to trinomia, we received a notice of deficiency from Health Canada that will, among other things, require that we wait for an independent clinical trial resulting uh, result involving the Trigombo product. This ongoing trial is expected to be completed at the end of the year. Following the results of that trial, we will determine the path forward for the product. On the positive side, two products in our neuroscience stable, Perseris and the MyCare Psychiatry Lab assays, were approved by Health Canada in the fourth quarter. Both assets are novel treatment options or clinical tools for practitioners in psychiatry and can leverage our existing commercial infrastructure. It can also re leverage relationships and reach in the Canadian psychiatric market. We expect to have both in the market in the second half of 2021. With that, I will turn it over to Tim for a closer look at our Q4 financial. Tim? Thank you, Gilbert. Good morning, everyone. Starting with revenue and product sales, total revenues of $16.5 million for the quarter and $56.1 million for the year were up 18% and 4% respectively from the same periods in 2019. Product sales grew by 2% in fiscal 2020, led by the 8% growth in product sales in Canada. These results reflect the resiliency of the company's clausural franchises, particularly in Canada, as well as the introduction of Vesipa in Canada. The number of Clausero patients in Canada increased 2% year over year, despite the challenge, challenges posed by COVID-19 in terms of patients seeking and receiving new treatments. This Clausero product sales growth was strongest in Q1 due to additional trade stocking at the start of the pandemic. For Vesipa, the growing base of prescribers, patients, and prescriptions over the course of the year resulted in growing Vesipa product sales with Q4 sales 42% ahead of the previous quarter. Absorico royalty revenue for 2020 was $8.1 million, down $1.5 million from 2019. As we stated we would do, we terminated our ownership of these marketing rights effective December 31st, 2020. As a result, the $2.3 million of Absorico royalties in Q4 2020 were our final Absorico royalties. Overall, this transaction served us well. As Gilbert mentioned, on September 30th, 2020, we acquired a diversified portfolio of royalty interests on the global sales of four different products. 
Royalty revenues in Q4 from this portfolio were $2.3 million. The acquisition included an entitlement to the royalties receivable for Q3 2020 that were estimated to be $2.0 million, which was included in the asset purchase price accounting allocation. Actual royalties related to Q3 that were subsequently received by HLS in Q4 were in excess of the estimated acquired receivable, thereby resulting in a realized gain of $500,000. Adding together both Q3 and Q4, the total royalties already received or receivable by HLS from this portfolio for that six-month period from July 1st, 2020 to December 31st, 2020 were $4.8 million, tracking ahead of our initial expectations and comparing very well to the $8.4 million generated by the portfolio for the trailing four quarters up to when we acquired it. We continue to believe the transaction has great potential to drive steady and reliable cash flows for the business. We expect that this royalty portfolio will generate adjusted EBITDA averaging just under $11 million annually over the first 10 years, an annual IRR in excess of 20% during that period. In addition to this solid financial return, this acquisition provides revenue diversification and the stable additional cash flows from these royalty interests do not distract management's attention from our operational focus on Vesipa, Clauserol, and our growing portfolio products. Shifting now to operating expenses, the largest increase in operating expenses was for selling and marketing related to the investment in the launch of Vesipa, including the addition of 30 customer-facing roles at the start of 2020. There is also an increase in general and administrative costs in Q3 related to CEO transition costs. The cost of product sales increased in fiscal 2020 as a result of the introduction of Vesipa and CSAN Pronto in Canada, as well as additional costs related to expanding the Clauserol product lineup. With the pandemic impacting our ability to gain access to the relevant healthcare institutions in order to roll out CSAN Pronto for much of 2020, we also incurred some obsolescence charges in Q4 for CSAN Pronto test strip inventories as these carry relatively short expiration data. Adjusted EBITDA results were strong in Q4, up $1.5 million over Q4 in the prior year due to the addition of the new royalty portfolio as well as product sales growth in Canada. As was expected, adjusted EBITDA of $24.1 million for fiscal 2020 was $7.5 million lower than in 2019, due primarily to the investment in the launch of the SEPA as well as CSEN Pronto. Cash generated from operations was $5.8 million in Q4, an increase compared to the cash generated from operations of $2.3 million in Q4 of the previous year. For the full year, cash from operations of $9.3 million was lower than in 2019 by $17 million, reflecting the investment in our portfolio products just noted, including the additional working capital investment for Vesipo. At year-end, HLS had cash on hand of $20.6 million, compared to $47 million at the end of 2019. Factors impacting the change in cash balance since the end of 2019 include increased selling and marketing costs related to Vesipa's launch, the initial inventory purchases for Vesipa, the cash on hand that was put toward the purchase of the royalty portfolio, and a $3.75 million milestone payment to Ameren when Vesipa received eight years of data protection in Canada. Overall, we continue to have a very strong financial position with the $20 million of cash on hand at year end, a $35 million revolving facility that remains undrawn as of today, 
and under the terms of our existing credit agreement, we're also able to request incremental loans up to a maximum amount of $70 million to support acquisitions and other growth opportunities. In addition, in May 2020, we filed a preliminary short-form base shelf prospectus to raise up to Canadian $250 million that remains available for a period of 25 months should the appropriate strategic opportunity emerge. And finally, yesterday, the Board of Directors declared that the subsequent quarterly dividend of Canadian five cents per outstanding common share is to be paid on June 15, 2021, to shareholders of record as of April 30, 2021. And with that, I'll pass it back to Gilbert for his closing comments. Thank you very much, Tim. In closing, uh, this continues to be a very exciting time for HLS. Uh, Q4 reflected solid continuation of the progress of the rollout of VSIPA, our CSAN pronto implementation, and we also saw the benefit of the royalty portfolio as a foundational driver of cash flows for the business. The progress for VSIPA can be measured in the undeniable engagement by physicians and the growing number of patients addressing their cardiovascular risk factors by taking the medication. Had the pandemic not interfered at precisely the time of our launch, there's no doubt we would be further along the curve with our rollout, but our team continues to find creative ways to reach physicians and raise awareness for this product, of which there is a tremendous need for. When compared to recent launches, our numbers are showing quite well, and our excitement is growing as we experience a progressive return to more normal operating conditions. Our top priorities through 2021 are to continue to successful, the successful launch of VSIPA and the steady deployment of CSAN Pronto. We also look forward in the back half of the year of bringing other new products to the market to provide new and novel therapeutic options for patients and practitioners dealing with challenging medical conditions. That concludes my prepared remark. At this point, I will ask the operator to please provide instructions for asking questions. Thank you. Operator? Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, we'll now begin the question and answer session. Should you have a question, please press star followed by one on your touchtone phone. You'll hear a three-tone prompt acknowledging your request, and your questions will be polled in the order they are received. Should you wish to decline from the polling process, please press star, followed by two. If you're using a speakerphone, please lift the handset before pressing any keys. Your first question comes from Noelle Atkinson from Claris. Noelle, please go ahead. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Good morning, Gilbert and Tim. Uh, well done in Q4, and thanks for taking our questions this morning. Um, first off, uh, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about what you're seeing for VSIPA copay subsidy trends. So you're starting to see, you know, acceleration here in new patients coming on board, and you're also seeing more private insurers coming on board for reimbursement. Certainly. Thank you. Good morning, uh, Noel. Thank you for your kind words. 
the uh, I think what we we expect to see in the next two quarters uh, is an expansion, of course, of the uh, you know the usage of the brand, but also an expansion of the net sales, and that the visibility will come from uh, three things: continued increase in prescriber, therefore more patients, but also penetration of each physician's practices, and that's the ratio we alluded to in the uh, in the script earlier. Uh, the, the other element, not to be neglected, as you pointed out, is that as we are gaining now more than uh, 80%, having reached more than 90% of all privately covered lives here, uh, what we were first subsidizing through a, you know, a right and appropriate kind of patient financial assistance program, uh, our contribution to that will, will diminish as the product is more and more covered by uh, by those insurers, and uh, what what that amounts to is, of course, an improvement in, in our net price by reduction of our gross to net. So I think that these uh, three factors will combine, will become more and more apparent. Uh, we think that uh, typically in the first year of a launch, the focus should be on what we've been uh, commenting on, and that is who's taking the product in their own hands, prescribing them to their patients, and the velocity at which uh, that progression occurs, and that's why we've been spending, especially the, the bulk of our time, uh, uh, talking about uh, this progression in prescriber, patient prescriptions overall, and charting those against uh, competitive products. Okay. And then, uh, so on the wholesale side, so in terms of you know inventories that distributors are you know. Do you see robust uh, inventory still at those distributors? Or are you now starting to see a more regular cadence of reordering? Yes, I will ask uh, Tim to comment on that one. How uh, uh, wholesale uh, stocking is actually following or leading the demand, Tim? Thanks, Javier, and thanks, thanks, Noel. Um, yeah, happy to report that we're seeing very regular cadence of orders from all of the key wholesalers, and it looks like it's tracking with the increase in demand very nicely. Great. And then finally for me, just uh, if you could talk a little bit about the, the your plans for sales and marketing investment in 2021. So you're still having a bit of a COVID headwind probably on activities, at least for the first half of this year, but you're also launching for Saris and, uh, you know, probably ramping up CSAN Pronto activity too. So if you could talk a little bit about that, that'd be great. Yes, I, I'll talk in, in fairly general terms here, but I think you, you'll obviously relate to the conditions and uh, the reasons why we're proceeding in that fashion. First of all, we're, we continue to saturate the, the investments that are most productive. Uh, we've been uh, selectively, I would say, I wouldn't say pull back, but we've been deferring certain expenses that will be much more productive when face-to-face -face interactions resume. Uh, so overall, our level of spending, and of course, there's there's been a lower level of spending because our people are not in the field. So travel-related expense typically have been trending down. Uh, we've been recycling, uh, in part, some of those spending into uh, other more adapted means. But uh, overall, I think, uh, and, and Tim could attest to that, the, the spending was lower than anticipated. Uh, some of that is just because we we couldn't be on the field, and some of it is because we judged that it would be the smart way to 
defer some of those spending until um, you know the market more fully reopens and that we get the full uh, rightful impact of, of those expenses. So uh, I, I think that you should expect to see those, those expenses to get to the normal expected uh, uh, levels as uh, especially Q2 and more, more probably Q3 resumes. Uh, and this would apply to both uh, cardiovascular and CNS in particular. Okay, one more, one more question here. Just in terms of the, um, the, your, your sales staff going into um, the doctor's offices and hospitals and that sort of thing, do, do your sales staff qualify as essential personnel for, for early vaccinations at all? Uh, they do not. Uh, they, they do not. I, I don't think that. Uh, I mean, there might be, there might be some regional subtleties here that are escaping me, but uh, uh, I don't think that they do. Their interactions with the doctors are regulated by the, the physicians themselves. In other words, uh, ultimately, a physician or uh, their overarching institutions uh, may elect to. Uh, open, act, open up the interaction and permit the interaction with uh, industry participants. Uh, and uh, that ultimately is a decision that they make based on their needs. And some doctors will deem that uh, being appraised of the latest innovation is of importance to them. And in, 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 in those cases, in full compliance with whatever requirements could be in existence at those institutions or in those provinces, uh, we, we do meet with those doctors uh, on their terms. So um, uh, I, I hope this gives you a sense of, uh, you know, when we can come into play. It changes, I would say, on a week-to-week -week basis. It's uh, very regional in nature. Uh, I can only praise our regional managers that are kind of juggling the tools in the toolbox, the various constraints or opportunities that present themselves uh, there's uh, no rigid game plan. There's just, a, uh, I would say, a series of, uh, of strategies and, and, and tools and tactics that we implement uh, in nimble fashion on a case-by-case -case basis. Okay, great. Thanks very much. Your next question comes from Tanya Gonzalez from Canaccord Genuity. Please go ahead. Good morning, Gilbert and Tim. Thanks for taking my question. Um, okay, so to start with Vasipa here, could you talk to maybe the impact of seasonality that we can expect in Q1, uh, just so we're not alarmed if sales do decline quarter over quarter? Yes, I can get a, a uh, I would say, a, a snippet of it. In terms of um, what we would call a prescription uh, demand, there shouldn't be any actual seasonality in this pure sense, right? There's nothing in the winter, <laughs> uh, in the winter months that should change how doctors prescribe Vesipa. It's not like an antihistamine or, or, or products that are, are season sensitive. Uh, what we're seeing more commonly in the first quarter are more induced by the trade, buying practices, uh, and maybe I will ask uh, Tim to comment on those elements as it pertains to Vesipa, but any other product in our portfolio. Tim? Um, uh, thanks, Joe Byron. Thanks, Tanya. Um, I think um, consistent with the earlier comment about the wholesale trade activity, um, we're not seeing any phenomena like that on, on Vesipa. So I would, I would expect that the, um, um, you know, from a trade stocking, it'll, it'll follow very much with the demand growth that we're seeing right now. Excellent, that's good news. Okay, perfect. Um, 
And then secondly, on public reimbursement, so provided that private reimbursement has come along faster than expected, just given the pharmacoeconomic argument in favor of the SEPA, do you think there is a chance that public reimbursement will also be granted sooner than you previously expected uh, following the completion of the PCPA negotiations in Q3? I would hope so, but I don't want to take my, uh, you know, my dreams for, for realities here. Uh, I think that the empirical evidence has been that uh, drugs will will gain public reimbursement any 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 time between the 18th and the 30th month post commercialization. Now, the more uh, a drug is deemed essential and has a strong clinical track record, the earlier this could happen. So 18 months would, would put us essentially smack in the middle or towards the end of the third quarter. That is still the optimistic view. Uh, if we get it earlier, uh, uh, so it be, and we'll be very happily, uh, uh, very pleased uh, of that outcome. But, uh, you know, we, we can't predict. These are negotiations, uh, and, and they usually are, are uh, uh, you know, following a process that we do not dictate. So... Uh, we're, we're active uh, participants in the process. With respect to the outcome, we're kind of sticking to this view that uh, it could happen and uh, allow for uh, provincial plans to, to opt in uh, the outcome of that negotiation in the, in the back end of the year. What is that typical lag time between the PCPA issuing a positive recommendation and the provinces opting in? Uh, I, I don't know that there uh, th there's a lot that has been uh, uh, commented upon. Uh, I think that uh, uh, from my understanding of that process, that template, right, that that agreement uh, is one that uh, every individual publicly funded plan. You know, we're talking about provincial plans, but any other publicly funded plan can opt into. They're not obligated to. Uh, but typically, uh, you know, there, there, there's a pattern where the larger provinces are often leaders in getting on board. So it's not uncommon for Ontario, Quebec, BC to be at the forefront uh, and for the other ones to follow suit. Uh, but uh, it's not a definite pattern. It's more of a kind of an uh, anecdotal uh, evidence that uh, I've experienced. Understood. Okay. Uh, and then just quickly on Clauserl here, I'm sorry if I missed it in your prepared comments, but I think I read a, something in the MDNA about expanding the Clauserl product lineup for more dosing options. Could you provide some color on, on what this relates to? Uh, yes, uh, I, I would call that as a minor development, but one that is uh, reflective of uh, you know, our intent to be there and satisfy every possible need. Uh, we were in a situation in Canada where we were commercializing Clausrel with two dosages, a 25 milligram and 100 milligram. Now, as you can expect, uh, patients can be dosed to the tune of anywhere between 200 to 900 milligram per day, which would mean that they would have to juggle uh, a pretty heavy uh, pill burden. So we've decided uh, some time ago to match all the available dosages on the market by uh, developing and uh, integrating into our offering 
a 50 milligram and a 200 milligram. So you can imagine that this would, uh, in, the, in, in the worst cases, divided by half uh, the daily number of pills that the patient would have to take. So I think it's uh, something that some would, would qualify as, uh, you know, uh, tactical in nature, but the, the focus was on the patient need. Understood. Okay, perfect. That's good insight. Um, and just a housekeeping question here. I think you mentioned that Clauserol patient count was up 2% year over year for full year 2020. What was this number in Q4 specifically? Uh, I, I'm, I would have to check. Uh, I, it's been, my recollection is that it's been positive through uh, every single quarter, albeit uh, at a different number. But if you don't mind, I will, I will check that out and provide you with the, uh, the specific in, in that case. Uh, for background, you know, the Canadian market for the last seven or eight years have been growing anywhere between 2 to 4% per year. And uh, therefore, two percent is on the lower side. But you know, this is the only one of those seven years that we're subject to a pandemic. Uh, you know, we're, we're, we're happy that uh, you know this two percent put us in positive territory. We also know that this amounted to uh, a small uh, uh, market share gain. Uh, so uh, you know, we, it, it's so granular we don't want to comment on it. But at least it's indicative that. Uh, through this hardship here, uh, we haven't been going backward uh, in terms of our leadership position. If one thing, we've consolidated it and solidified it. Absolutely. Okay, perfect. Thank you so much, Gilbert. I'll leave it there. Thank you. Your next question comes from Raul Siragasser from Raymond James. Please go ahead. Good morning, Gilbert and Tim. Uh, thanks so much for taking my questions, and I'd like to reiterate uh, congrats on, on the strong finish to the year. So um, not to take anything away from that, uh, you know, we did notice that uh, the number of prescriptions in Q4 for Vasipa sort of came in on, on the lower end of the range uh, that, uh, that you had uh, indicated. Um, is this purely because of COVID, or are there any other potential factors uh, that we should be looking at? Yes, uh, two elements here. Uh, first one, you know, we, we paint a picture and we, uh, I think we provided what we call the hurricane cone, which is a kind of a bracket of where we think we could land. Uh, you know, the, the, the one thing we, we don't want to be judged for is our ability to forecast the unknown, uh, such as, you know, the impact of a pandemic. That's, that's beyond our control. We have to withstand and adapt. Uh, uh, and, and therefore, you know, we could have been the higher part of the cone had those conditions been much improved uh, or even, you know, been returning to normal. So uh, I, I can conclusively say that, yes, the number would be different uh, and, and better if we were not in a pandemic. You know, our, our efforts are impacted uh they don't bear the same fruits that they would otherwise and i think the notion here is to say that in spite of that in spite of that the progress is constant i think the script chart uh is is revealing that the that the momentum of the product is uh, has not been negatively impacted 
meaning you know flattening or whatever the, the, the trend upward continues so one can can only positively view that uh, if you remove some of those constraints uh, it could only buoy the overall demand and the progress of it that's that's our vantage point uh, with, with respect to the, the projections and the ranges here, uh, I think they need to be kept in context, right? We're, we're, uh, we're not trying to, to, to read here in, in the tea leaves uh, what the environment will be, but it does uh, define a possible zone of impact. Great. I really appreciate that. And, and again, just to reiterate, I don't want to take anything away from the success of the year. It was indeed uh, a good end of the year. So, so speaking of good ends, um, you know, you did have a bit of an EBITDA beat. Um, you know, was this because you're finding that uh, discounts in the early stages of adoption here are lower than expected? How should we be thinking about discounts in Q4, but also going forward? Tim, do you want to handle? Sure. Um, I I think um, one one of the one of the you know really encouraging things about the announcement of the greater um, uh, private coverage for Vasipa is that um, that will allow us to see less of a subsidy um, going forward, and so we should see you know less discount and an improvement in our gross to net on Vasipa. And as we you know get through the first couple quarters of 2021, we'll we'll have that realized. Um, so that was certainly certainly part of the what what was going on in Q4 of last year. Yeah, perfect. Um, thanks. And my last question then. Is around the, the recently uh, the recent data um, at uh, the International Stroke Conference uh, where we showed uh, essentially a 30 percent reduction in in risk associated with stroke. So, you know, how are you finding physician response to the data that's come out over the last quarter, and specifically to the data that uh, was uh, was revealed yesterday? Okay. Uh, so, first of all, this is. Uh, I would, I would call them, you know, they were defined as pre-specified post-hoc analysis. So all of this traces back to the seminal uh, uh, landmark trial, the REDUCE trial. Uh, but now, as the data is being mined, uh, we're we're seeing trends, patterns, confirmatory evidence emerging as they're now making a foray in every individual. Uh, uh, major adverse cardiovascular event. Of course, death was one of them, heart attacks. Uh, this one covers the topic of strokes and goes to show that the benefit is broad in general. Because sometimes, you know, meeting a primary endpoint, uh, especially with composite index, is an amalgamation of all kinds of data points on all kinds of different types of patients. And I think the value of those postdoc analysis is that it firms up the notion that the benefit is broad. It broadly applies to you know patient types. It broadly uh, applies to uh, uh, you know the level of risk that those various patients may have, and that truly is where the value is. And I think it needs to be done so that we continue to further the understanding of the benefit in very concrete ways because. Uh, we all relate to death, of course, uh, heart attacks, of course, stroke, the implications of strokes that can sometimes be crippling, can, can you know, uh, 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 keep people from being able to resume a normal life, uh, the financial impact of those, uh, not to mention the quality of life. Um, so I think that that's the intent. Those, those numbers are 
uh, now refined and be highly significant and to be extremely relevant to the patient population to which we uh, we cater. Terrific. Thanks for taking our questions today. Most welcome, Raul. Thank you for your call. Your next question comes from David Martin from Bloomberg, or sorry, Bloom Burton. Uh, David, please go ahead. Uh, good morning, Gilbert and Tim. Um, first question I have is, um, do, do you have a sense of what percent of physicians that you're calling on are turning around and prescribing Vasipa? Uh, we we do. Um, it's not that simple, but I would say that uh, to 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 again here to paint a picture rather than to be uh, into excruciating details. I would say that those 550 prescribers represent approximately one fifth of the people that we've been trying to reach. Uh, I want to bring another element here uh, of, of, uh, of understanding. Uh, because of the pandemic, we haven't been able to reach all of them, uh, even over the course of a year. So it just goes to show when we say that we're rowing upstream here, that's uh, another manifestation of the effect of the pandemic. Uh, we would normally be able to see pretty much all the people in our target, many of them uh, as many as five, six, seven, eight, nine times over the course of a year. Um, the pandemic reduces the penetration and reduces the frequency, and that's why we can safely say that without a pandemic, we we would be further along. But uh, I bring those, uh, David, uh, for illustrative purposes. I wouldn't want to be quoted rigidly on, on those percentages. Do you think, like, when doctors hear the story and they don't prescribe it, uh, are reasons for it, like they're waiting for the guidelines, or even though you have uh, private coverage, we're waiting till all my patients are covered. Like, could there be floodgates open with uh, either or both of those events? Yes. Well, in in uh, kind of a typical approach to uh, I, I, I guess this environment where prescribers are learning and eventually trying and eventually adopting. Uh, we always try to foresee or to identify the objections. Right? If a doctor yeah. listens, yeah. You know, who, who, would, who would go against the grain of a 25% reduction in, in uh, major risk, especially 20% you know, reduction in death, 30, 30% in, in, uh, in strokes, and so on and so forth? And the reason why uh, I wouldn't say they resist, but they, they hold their judgment is that they have objections. And those objections can be as few as one or two, can be as many as five, six, or seven. And part of this relationship that we establish with the physician, bringing factual, clinical, vetted evidence, uh, is also to make sure that those objections that may not be obvious do surface uh, during the course of the conversation over the one, two, three, four, five, six visits and uh, if we address those objections uh, properly with them, uh, then eventually the likelihood that they will try it is high. Uh, so that, that's kind of the generic nature of that process. We have to make sure that we understand where their concerns might be, what information they need to have, what makes it compelling to them, 
sometimes it can be, of course, the financial coverage. It's a very important consideration. Sometimes it can be, well, what does uh, Dr. Such and Such do? That's where key opinion leaders carry a lot of influence and weight. They lead the way, they reassure, and in their own way, they are prescribers uh, of sort for general practitioners or, or, or local, uh, local physicians. Okay, great. Um, switching to trinomia, what is Health Canada looking for and what is this trial that's running going to show that, you know, hasn't been shown for the drug already with its approvals uh, in other markets? Is it a safety issue they're, they're looking for? Uh, I wouldn't say it's a safety issue. There, there were a few, uh, I would say, technical and clinical considerations. You know, those notices uh, of deficiency are fairly comprehensive. And uh, in their view, uh, the trial being conducted right now um, could allow them to, uh, you know, uh, I guess overcome some of the questions or, or considerations that they've been raising. Uh, as surprisingly as it sounds, uh, you know, trinomia was never the subject of an efficacy trial. Uh, trinomia is developed by uh, Ferrer in Spain and now commercialized in 30 countries, was developed on the basis of the individual usage of the components. Right? So the statin yeah. is a statin, and if, uh, <laughs> if you reach bioequivalent dosages, you should have the same effect. Uh, similarly, for the anticoagulant uh, and, and for the blood pressure medication. And uh, I think that Health Canada is probably the first regulator saying, well, you know, uh, if, if there's a trial going on here that's going to wrap all those elements and bring also a view on the, um, uh, the, the benefit as it relates to uh, uh, compliance, because that, that's a big element in the thesis here, right? These, these patients are juggling multiple different drugs, and combining them in a single pill makes them more compliant to all of the three important drugs. Uh, so I think that that's uh, uh, conceptually here, the benefit of those trial results may, may allow to check a few boxes that have been open-ended otherwise. Okay, uh, last question, a uh, quick housekeeping question for Tim, maybe. Um, the 0.5 million, the 500,000 gain on the royalties, was that part of the 2.3 million revenue for royalties um, from that basket um, this quarter, or was that accounted in a different way? Hi, David. Um, the, that $500,000 is in addition to the 2.3. Okay. Okay, thanks. I'll get back in the queue. Great, thanks. Your next question comes from Justin Keywood from Stifle. Justin, please go ahead. Good morning, and thanks for taking my call. I had a question on the projected uh, scripts. So it's at 4,000 currently, and it's uh, expected to go up to 45 to 65,000 uh, in the next four quarters. Would that just include private reimbursement, or is there a public reimbursement um, integrated in that outlook? Uh, good morning, uh, Justin. Thank you for your question. Uh, we expect, and I think we, we, we've commented uh, here, and, here and then on uh, the inflection. Right? When, when you look at that slide, 
the early days slope changes in velocity and the slope becomes much more steeper. And that is typically when, when you know, those in the following two or three years where the product get much closer to peak year and then they flatten out. Uh, and that is typically associated with the public market component opening up as well. Okay, but just if I maybe ask in a different way, like it, it appears that the scripts are projected to go up by potentially 10 times over the next four quarters, and, and I believe you know the public reimbursement probably wouldn't kick in until after then. Uh, I guess my question, is that achievable, that script pro projection, uh, just with the private reimbursement in place? Well, uh, that's why we're doing this analog curve, right? Uh, what does this analog curve show while imperfect? Uh, it, take a look at Eliquis. Eliquis is real data, right? So between Q4 mm -hmm. and Q5, mm -hmm. Eliquis went tenfold. Then they went more than twofold. Then they went twofold again. Then they went twofold again. But, you know, between Q4 and Q8, they went, what, uh, uh, hundredfold? Mm -hmm. Between Q5 mm -hmm. and Q8, they went tenfold. So, uh, I'm not saying that because it happened for Alexis, it will happen for Recipa. What we're saying here is that when a number of conditions reunite, it does create an expansion in a number of different axes. Right? The product is better and better known by more and more doctors, so they use it more within their own practice. Today we have like 3.7 scripts per physician. And, uh, in, ten year, in, in a year or two, it could be 15 scripts per physician. So there's an expansion within the use of a pra given practice. There's a growing number of, of uh, physicians happening also because, you know, a lot of them also are, uh, you know, conditioned by the extent of our coverage now that we've committed to expand with additional PCP-focused sales force as the public market opens. So the target the target open, the penetration of the targets open, and then the third component is, as we stated, uh, you know, is more on, on the cost side of things, but is, uh, you know, with the reimbursement, we get, um, uh, I would say, greater amount or better amount of net sales. But uh, these are the elements that are typically combined, and... Um, I would say that this analog, uh, you could probably find in different therapeutic areas, uh, many, many other analogs that display the same pattern, right? And that's why we call it an S-curve. It's slow at the beginning, then it becomes steep, almost vertical, and then it flattens out when the product reaches maturity. Uh, and that is defined by, you know, a product's fullest potential, but also the quality of the execution. Mm -hmm. Okay, thank you. And then if I may just flip in one more question. Uh, I'm just uh, wondering, uh, with the vaccine programs rolling out across uh, Canada, uh, is this uh, an opportunity for, you know, perhaps patients contacting their doctors, uh, you know, either for virtual or in-person uh, visits and, and uh, you know, probably for a much-needed uh, checkup, or is that just uh, too early to tell um, as far as, you know, potential increase in uh, the SEPA adoption? Yes, Uh very hard for us to comment. You know, our hope is clearly on the side of what you expressed. We hope that, 
you know, the, the vaccine can bring a pretty rapid normalization, uh, but the rate at which Canada will actually proceed with, with this vaccination is the unknown. Will it be um, no, pretty much an ideal by, by the middle of the summer, or will it continue to drag? Will there be you know, other spikes or surges regionally or nationally? Uh, all, all these elements here are completely unknown to us. I don't think anybody a year ago could have predicted 2020 and the front end of 2021. Uh, why should we be able to, to, to be definitive on, on what lies ahead? Uh, I think vaccination, uh, is 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 truly the solution. Uh, the pace at which it'll be uh, implemented, short of, of getting an absolute undeniable plan uh, and rate of vaccination, is uh, something we're not going to speculate on. <laughs> Understood, and thank you for taking my questions. You're welcome. Thank you very much, Justin. Your next question comes from Paul Stewartson from IA Capital. Paul, please go ahead. Good morning, gentlemen, and uh, just calling in for Chelsea here. Congrats on the quarter. Um, great to see. And uh, just wondering about CSAN Pronto in terms of, you know, obviously this is a pretty, you know, pretty major draw for, for Clauseril, one would, one would expect, um, in terms of competitive advantage. You mentioned that um, the, you know, the, the COVID situation, the pandemic restrictions, um, made it a little bit difficult for Clauseril this year, it, it, or you know, even in the last quarter, say, is, is that largely offset by CSAM Pronto, or has that really not yet come into play in terms of actual, you know, it's it's so just on the margin and and it's still sort of uh, in in the you know next quarters, it's it's in the works, or you know, how do you see that playing out? Uh, good, good morning, Paul. Thank you for your uh, your, your kind comments here. Uh, it is clear that the pandemic has delayed and deferred the implementation of CSAN Pronto, and therefore its benefit. Um, probably exacerbated in the case of treatment-resistant schizophrenia. We're talking here the patients that are most seriously ill, uh, that are uh, often from uh, a social demographic here. Uh, patients in great need, often homeless, uh, high level of comorbidity, and therefore when they end up in an institution where the treatment will be initiated, uh, those patients are treated with extreme care, especially as it relates to you know, possible contagious diseases. So uh, that's why in that little uh, uh, concentrated uh, uh, area where those patients get treated, the impact was uh, quite quite visible. Uh, it also goes to show that conversely, you know, once this market open up, uh, we we think are pretty convinced that we will benefit disproportionately. And and is, in terms of the rollout of CSAM Pronto, so is this something you know we're going to see kind of steady a, a few more sites each quarter for for a long time, or how how do you see it uh, playing out? Yes, I think we have uh, ahead of us here um, many quarters of constant progression. Um, you know, the, the market is quite large. The opportunities are numerous. Uh, right now, we're, we're focusing on those institutions that don't have the constraints, and that means that, you know, the, the, the smaller ones, actually, that we were now planning to cover in the early stages have been coming at the forefront 
and they've they've been producing uh, quite interesting results in 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 terms of uh, the onset of the, this implementation. Uh, but there's a very large reservoir of locations and patients that can benefit from it. So I think that you will see from quarter to quarter the reporting morph from uh, a site-based reporting to uh, a true concrete patient-based reporting. Um, and uh, I, I think that will probably become a recurring item uh, in our reporting, you know, probably by mid-year. Great. For, thanks for the color. Um, on the royalty package, so you mentioned it was kind of higher than expected. Um, just looking at the at the run rate from Q3 with the with the adjustment, it, it looks like it's already kind of you know even before the the last product um, comes on the market, uh, it looks like it's kind of already above what your guidance was. Is that something we can sort of look for, or was this more of a one-time uh, upward adjustment? That was for you, Tim. Certainly, um, yeah, we're 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 quite pleased with the initial results so far. Um, it is it is tracking ahead of of expectations. Um, we should be cautious. It, it is it is only data from from two quarters, um, and there are a lot of you know things in the market right now that are are um, unusual. Um, I think some of the some of the results in Q3 may have been a, a rebound after a very soft Q2, which probably was influenced by the initial. Um, pandemic lockdown. So I think uh, let's give it some time for that to play out, but it does seem to be tracking ahead of our expectations. Okay, that's good to have in mind. Thank you. And, and then final question, uh, just in terms of, you know, it hasn't really come up yet. It, is there any um, perspective on, you know, kind of an acquisition pipeline or, or where you guys are looking for future growth, or is it really just, uh, you know, unless something opportunistic comes up, focus on Vasipa for now and, and sort of return to that in the future? Uh, thank you. Uh, good question, Paul. Um, I, I think that we, we've stated we'll always repeat, uh, you know, uh, growth through licensing, mergers, acquisitions, and our DNA. It's part of our strategy. Uh, we're, we're looking uh, all the time. They're always opportunistic in the sense that, uh, you know, we've, we've, I think we gain a positive reputation for responsible capital allocation. So, uh, you know, everything has to be scrubbed and looked at in, in great detail. Uh, the primary operational focus remains Vesipa and, and Clausero for obvious reasons. Right? The, we can't neglect such important transformative activities, but uh, the, the playing field here is, is, is broad. The circumstances stemming from the pandemic or post-pandemic uh, continue to generate opportunities that we're, we're looking uh, at. Uh, still equally interested in further growing in Canada, but also in the U.S., where commercial platform is uh, is uh, an area of definite interest, um, notwithstanding all those other elements uh, related to to this this discipline capital allocation. So. Uh, uh, not something that we are uh, putting aside or abandoning is being pursued in, uh, in fairly clear but compartmentalized fashion. Uh, the, the operational focus remains on making Vesipa uh, a success and growing the clubville franchise. 
Great. Thanks for taking my questions. And again, uh, congrats on a really difficult, but well done year. Thank you very much, Paul. We have a follow-up question from David Barton from Bloom Burton. David, please go ahead. Yeah, hi. Thanks for taking the uh, follow-up. You, you had quite a jump in the CSAM Pronto sites uh, by the end of Q4. I, I'm wondering, did most of those get installed right at the end of the quarter and we'll start to see the impact uh, this year, or were they rolling out throughout the uh, quarter? They're, uh, uh, thank you, David. They're, they're usually pretty steady uh, because an implementation requires that we be along their side uh, in location. And, uh, you know, there's only so much you can do in parallel. So I think they're usually uh, staggered and, and spread across. So they happen in, in continuous fashion. The only other consideration is, of course, the site's uh, constraint. But, uh, no, you should expect them to continue to happen. And when we, we report, it could look like a big lump. But uh, it, it's being done, you know, day to day, week to week. Uh, the and and from what we can judge here, there's a deployment phase, there's an acclimatization phase when it becomes clinically available, and uh, we hope that we get then to the generalize, generalization of the usage of it for all of their patients. Right. So these kind of steps here will eventually start to show up in aggregate in terms of usage. Uh, also important to understand that there are at least uh, three types of uh, patient that will benefit from CSAM Pronto. You've got patients that are already on Clausurel and will now switch to this more uh, less invasive modality. You have completely new patients that uh, didn't want to go uh, undergo a clozapine therapy because of that demanding regimen, and CSAM Pronto is enabling that, so we're growing the market and we're, we're taking ownership of those patients exclusively. The third category that we can't exclude is uh, that patients currently being treated with competing clozapine product uh, may be switched to the CSAN uh, registry and the clozaril product base because of the superiority of the uh, uh, of the modality of the safety monitoring, right? So we're we're we think that these things will continue to grow and probably snowball in a, in in a sense. Is it a requirement at the site that um, all of the patients at that site that have taken on the program will get treated with your Clozaril, or um, will only patients treat? They may treat some with generic, some with branded Clozaril. Only the brand to get treat uh, get assessed with the uh, CSAN Pronto. How's how's well, it? Well, you know, I, actually, CSAN Pronto is an integral part of the Clausural Support and Assistance Network. That's what CSAN means, uh, and that's a registry, and the registry yeah. is uniquely associated with Clausural. Okay. And you know, if we deploy this technology in a clinic or in an institution, uh, they don't have to use it. But if they use it, they use it through the CSAN registry, and it means the patient has to be in the registry. It's a service that we provide uh, that is you know, part of the whole suite of other services that CSAN provides. And what we're doing here is we're trying to make sure that you know, physicians make the best decisions for their patient. And if CSAN Pronto 
is meeting that criteria and becomes a motivating element for them to uh, adhere to the CSAN registry and CSAN suite of services, uh, then they come to the brand for all the right reasons. Okay, okay. Uh, just one more quick question, if I could. Um, I, amongst the royalties that you purchased, uh, three are drugs, and we can track the trends, and we know the uh, the patent expiries and things like that for the drugs, but the emblem ICD is rather harder to track. And I, I'm wondering, can you comment on what the current sales are of that product and what the trajectory is, or are, are you allowed to speak in that granularity? Tim? Uh, hi, David. Um, no, I don't think that is actually something that we, we can comment on at, at that level of specificity. Um, I think the one thing that we do have some visibility on is that um, um, hospital-based procedures like this were directly impacted, uh, particularly by the initial lockdown, and that um, that appears to no longer be the case as, as um, the importance of the procedure of, a, of an implantable defibrillator that 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 has you know kind of resumed, and and that even even with the ongoing pandemic, there's a there's an importance placed on making sure that those procedures continue to happen. Okay, okay, thank you. That's it. Thank you, David. There are no further questions at this time. Please proceed. Thank you, operator, and thank you all for participating on uh, on today's call. And uh, on a closing note, we will be participating in a virtual non-deal roadshow event powered by uh, Renmark tomorrow at 11 a.m. Eastern Time. A link to view the presentation live will be available in the event sections of our IR website, and a replay will also be available there afterwards. For now, thank you again, and goodbye. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes your conference call for today. We thank you for participating and ask that you please disconnect your lines. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.